0: Warning, Jerry Seinfeld said he won't play college campuses anymore because they're too uptight to laugh. Hello
1: everyone and welcome to the blue-haired, out-of-control SJW college radio show. Uh, My name is Aaron, I'm one of your hosts, I use he-him pronouns. My name is Sean,
0: I am the other host, he-him. We're here today to talk about some very important goings on on campus. Big steps have been taken to further our agenda, which has been very successful so far at stopping free speech, shuttering rationality in favor of feelings, which are now the new almighty power of campus.
1: Yeah, we try to bring you an update every week, but this week we have a very, very important special update, which is there's actually been a technological innovation that we can hook up to people of color. It reads their feelings. And when anything hurts their feelings, the person who hurts their feelings loses their citizenship. We have the technology and we just need to get the law passed. It's just a
0: matter of political will at this point. And that's why us totalitarian college kids are at it again. This technological update, it's a game changer.
1: Yeah. For the first time, we have an objective measure of what's offensive because we can measure someone's feelings and whether they're offended.
0: Mm, And then when we get that reading, it's quite clear, okay, this person has caused offense. Boom. There goes the citizenship. Now you're a stateless citizen. You have no passport and you can't own property. Subject to
1: being deported. Although, where would you go? The ocean? Nobody cares. Shouldn't have been racist.
0: I think that removing the citizenship of people who have been racist is a great idea, and I support that. And so does everyone on college campus these days. Yep, yeah, we're taking
1: over. The administration's basically in our pocket. You know, everyone's bowing down before us. It's really great being a college kid nowadays. We're so mm-hmm. powerful, uh, yeah. but also we're really weak and everyone's just bowing down to us and to our weakness. I don't know. It's just, it's a wonderful state of affairs.
0: I don't know which part I like more, whether it's my perpetual victim status and victim nature constantly crying out at persecution against me or the other thing that might be my favorite is being so rich and needing to be babysat like a child because i'm an idiot and i don't understand how the world really works if i had to pick between the two i think hmm, yeah i'd definitely choose being a rich idiot welcome to the show welcome to the show
1: Think about these college students out of control, <laughs> <laughs>
0: you just, just all uh, yeah, all college students are out of control. Well, with not
1: all these, these college students. Sorry,
0: but who's these? Okay, you're good. Start at square one. Oh, Who are sorry. these?
1: Well, these, the SJWs, you've heard of the SJWs on college campuses,
0: yeah, social justice warriors, yes, yeah, I'm familiar with that acronym,
1: yeah, they uh, they're just going wild, uh, they want to be coddled. And they're punching people. You've heard about this, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I have. I have heard about... Coddle is also a cooking term. Is it? Yeah, it's if you if you cook an egg in water that's not boiling. It's called coddling. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah, <laughs> I that, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I
1: don't know why that brings me such delight.
0: But um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard a lot of people say stuff like college students are spoiled babies who have unrealistic demands, and they're rich. These are rich, spoiled, blue-haired babies who are out of control.
1: <laughs> yes, now you know what I'm talking about. This is what I wanted to get to, the rich, spoiled, blue-haired babies. Yeah. Just out of control. Out of control, eh?
0: Yeah. And, uh, and this narrative, it's certainly it has its fair share of anecdotes It's got these kinds Mm, of like these tent poles that hold it up of incidents where uh, activists do something that the general public might find reprehensible. But I, I haven't seen a lot of deep information about how colleges have been transformed or changed in any way. I've seen little data to indicate that this percentage, this group of activists represents colleges as a whole. Although it seems to be spoken about that way.
1: Oh, yeah. Like you just say college campuses now and what people immediately think of is out of control leftist activists. I got to stop saying out of control. (laughs) I I think I've said it enough. But yeah, that was something that really struck me about this whole discussion too, like almost immediately was the cycle of hyperbole. Like there's definitely some hyperbole going on among the loudest outspoken leftist activists about certain issues. Search YouTube for crazy SJWs protest. You'll, You'll find all the examples you need of some hyperbole. But then you look at the reactions, which are usually not people yelling at protests. They're usually people writing like sharply worded editorials, of which there are countless numbers. Like there's so many Mm -hmm. of them. And they're just as hyperbolic in their own way, making these particular examples of things that happened universalized as problems that are happening everywhere, conflating what the most angry person at the protester said with what the administrations are doing. There's this implication that that administrations are complicit in this SJW thing. And then this SJW thing is defined by the worst, loudest videos on YouTube you've ever found. And like, it's just, everything gets jumbled up.
0: Did did college kids used to be under control and then something changed at some point? Because I, I feel like that's not the case. I feel like there's been a history of a minority of students in any student body being activists and protesters, making demands of the administration or making demands of society at large. I just feel like it's been par for the course for universities for a long time to have a vocal minority of activists. There seems to be this implication or this this narrative out there that something's fundamentally changed around, say, 2013, 2014, when new ways of speaking and thinking about social justice. This were raising in prominence, that there was some sort of fundamental change where like the heads of universities started bowing to this almighty powerful political correctness god of these blue hairs who are rich-spoiled babysat children who have mm. all these horrible demands and control everything. There was like a pivot in the way that it was thought about and talked about more so than an actual change in the university body as a whole. Because in my limited experience that I've never went to a university or college, I know a lot of people who have and have visited campuses. uh, The impression that I get is that largely universities have been undergoing kind of a process of neoliberal corporatization that's focused on pushing people into economics and business ahead of the humanities pushing people away from studying things that are useless like art and literature and towards things that are useful like business degrees and economics and what have you for example uh, here in in BC the Simon Fraser University has got a rich history of activism but has recently become more of like a politically sterile environment that's got a bigger focus on like the business side of the university than the humanities or stuff like that. I think
1: you might've touched on the answer to your own question at the beginning of what you said, which was around the time that new ways of thinking about social justice rose to prominence. And I think, I think that's what the change was like prior to, let's even say 2010, a lot of what students were demonstrating about were different things, like the Iraq War. That was a big thing during the 2000s that like student protest movements were about, let's get us out of the Iraq War. That's something that people were used to. People are used to students demonstrating about war being bad or about capitalism being bad even. But these new ways of talking about social justice, these like touchstones of this debate, things that came up like trigger warnings, safe spaces, microaggressions, like all these, this new lingo popped up. It got imbibed by the student protest sphere that existed already. And these ideas, I think people have found especially objectionable. And that's why this thing has escalated so much.
0: Yeah. But why universities specifically for this ire? Like, I'd be really curious to see if the popularity of these things rose in universities before it rose in the general population. Because like, it affected my social group. And I'm sure there were people in my social group who were going to university. Yeah. Yeah, But I wouldn't say that was the defining feature. What percentage of the university population is activist? It's got to be under 10%. And so when clearly what's being targeted is activism, it's being targeted as the ideals underpinning social justice, the ideals underpinning left-wing politics that is focused on particularisms of identity and power structures in society. Like, that's the real target here. And it's it's just, it's interesting why that target, which extends beyond the university, probably the majority of its adherents exist outside of universities. And it's a minority population within the university. So why, why is it the target
1: yeah I don't know well like I don't know about trigger warnings but microaggressions at least that idea comes from anti-oppression studies anti-oppression theory from scholars like studying these things and coming up with uh, ways of categorizing these ideas I think these ideas do first to at least to some extent come from universities but I think part of it might just be that the political discourse that's happening largely in society is Put under a magnifying glass in college campuses, because you have a bunch of young students there that tend to be just discovering politics, tend to be very assertive and want to speak out and idealistic and all those things. And you're just going to have this amplified environment.
0: There was an interesting point that Nathan Robinson, the um, editor of Current Affairs, made in in one of his articles about free speech in campuses, along the lines of that amplification you're mentioning, which is that in regular kind of public life, if you're a wage-earning professional... Chances are the majority of your time is going towards your career and family and stuff like that. You're not going to a lot of cafes to watch speakers. You're not participating in a vibrant political public right. life yeah, yeah, exactly. in the same way that you might be in the university. So... Part of the reason that some of these debates get centered on university about who should be allowed to speak or not, who should be granted space, what ideas are so far that you shouldn't be granted a platform and so on. Like these are general questions around free speech and free expression and political life. But university students are uniquely participating in that compared to general society where yeah most yeah. of the time people at the end of the day when they're done making money for their boss they go home to relax and watch netflix
1: yeah no exactly the way I see it is like these these ideas are out there now and they're being debated, like to what extent should universities be safe spaces or have safe spaces? Uh, to what extent should students be warned about alarming content? Like all these things are questions worth asking and worth talking about. And besides the hyperbole and besides like some specific examples of like student activists going too far, which again, you can certainly find... I just think the discussion around these issues is actually pretty healthy, and it's actually a really good thing that, you know, these ideas are being discussed and debated, and we're like, we're working it out. It's it's not so bad.
0: Today on Seriously Wrong Storytime, the story of the uptight SJW blue hairs, the Greensboro Four. The year was 1959, and sure, there was still a lot of racism, but it was being worked on, and it was obvious. Didn't need to be pointed out. Four blue-haired black students from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University decided that they'd had enough of being reasonable and having the debates like adults and decided that they were going to go completely crazy and demand things that are totally impossible in SJW fantasy. The food counters at department stores not being segregated based on race anymore. They hatched a plan to sit in at the lunch counter at Woolworth and refuse to leave until they were served to get attention to the issue of civil rights and social justice. They said, sorry, we're not going to serve you. This is a whites-only counter. And they said, I'm unreasonable, I'm an SJW, I'm going to stay here all day until you serve me. (laughs) And on the second day, 20 more entitled babies showed up, demanding that they be served at the whites-only counter. On the third day, over 60. Other similar protests in other cities began popping up after about 10 days of their sit-in. In In March, blue hair president Eisenhower said he was deeply sympathetic with the efforts of any crazy group to enjoy the rights of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to enjoy the rights of equality that are guaranteed by the SJW's crazy, crazy SJW constitution. By the third week of February, demonstrations had spread to at least 250 major cities and towns, and on July 26, Woolsworths, just like so many college administrations, caved to the SJW college protesters and desegregated their lunch counters, allowing people to eat no matter what their race was, at a lunch counter. The Greensboro Blue Hair protests are widely credited with inspiring direct action at segregated churches, motels, swimming pools, beaches, libraries, movies, snowballing, spreading to other cities, and being one of the definitive nonviolent protest moments in civil rights history.
1: So, like, what are some of these ideas? These are terrible ideas these college students have that need to be fought at all costs.
0: The proof of the unbearable extremism of the modern college leftist who has gone absolutely maniacal (laughs) with power. I like maniacal. It's a great word. (laughs) So, okay, well, let's just start with an obvious example. Safe spaces. I saw a really humorous send up of the whole safe spaces concept done by the good people at Turning Point USA, or as I like to call them, TPUSA, which is a right wing political group that uh, is funded by some major Republican donors. They love misrepresenting Bernie Sanders and stuff. They did a protest where a few of them dressed up in diapers like babies <laughs> and went on a college campus of some kind pretending to cry and drink bottles and play with blocks. So trying to stick it to the leftists by just completely humiliating themselves and engaging <laughs> in borderline baby fetish stuff.
1: Oh man, the safe spaces thing is a weird area of discourse because so many things get confused. First, there's concerns about safety. There's real concerns about physical safety. If you talk about some of the protests that have gotten violent in recent Years like that, that leftist being shot at a Milo speaking event in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Point being, like maybe during a Milo event, it's not a terrible idea to want to have a room with some chill music and some crayons or some blocks and maybe some video games. If it's either that or going out into these protests where people are getting shot, I might want to hang out in the safe space in the chill zone. I like renaming it a chill zone rather than a safe space. I think people would like it better.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Just a chill zone, just a place to chill where we're going to do our best to make sure that there isn't very much racism and sexism there. So you can just relax with your video games.
1: Yeah, it's a relaxing place. There's blocks. If you say the N-word, we're going to kick you out.
0: Because it's uh, not chill.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not chill. Exactly.
0: I I don't know. I'm trying to think of something other than blocks that people actually (laughs) like to do. Um, There is adult coloring books. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of real-world examples. And it's always been like during... Speakers who were particularly objectionable for one reason or another, Charles Murray or Milo or something like that. People objected to it. They didn't get disinvited. And so instead, what they did was set up safe spaces for during the event. But then one of the reasons I want to call it a chill zone rather than a safe space is because it then gets conflated with when leftist activists bring up that they felt unsafe hearing certain ideas or something a professor said in class made them feel unsafe or having this speaker on campus made them feel unsafe. And so that discourse gets conflated with these physical spaces where kids are using crayons. Uh, (laughs) And the thing that people insinuate without ever really saying is that what leftist activists want is for all universities to be converted into... Kindergartens, basically, like I guess they do say that specifically, but like they 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 just want to replace philosophy class with coloring books. They want to replace engineering with Legos, <laughs> and you know they never have to be challenged on anything, and they'll just live in a little bubble uh, with pillows taped all around them, and this is what they want. So it's <laughs> this is a slippery discourse slope from. Use of the word unsafe, which is usually in a sort of figurative sense. Like when people say they felt unsafe hearing ideas, they aren't talking about like they feared for their physical safety and they wanted <laughs> to be have pillows taped
0: around them. <laughs> and the, the only case that I've actually run into safe spaces in real life, like the idea of safe spaces in a way that's impacting what I'm doing, and these are extremely limited places that i have actually seen this, which is like poetry slams and like certain activist groups or activist subgroups. And it's in the context of basically saying there are rules of participation and that if you're going to be in this space, you're going to be in this group, there's certain things we expect you not to do. And if you do, you're violating the policy that's about making this a safe and welcoming space for people who often feel excluded or often feel like spaces like this don't have them in mind, feel like their particularities are invisible to the world in some way. And through that invisibility comes things like subtle forms of sexism and racism that are harmful to them, which is Often called microaggressions.
1: The safe space thing you're talking about, I completely forgot about. But yeah, leftists in their own space is not going coloring book, but saying, you know, <laughs> we we have certain rules of conduct. Yeah, this coloring and book stuff, I don't it's know. It's literally never even like heard three it. things. It, it, like <laughs> three times or something, these like literal like little spaces were set up during uh-huh troubling speakers. But like, yeah, no, what you're talking about is by far the more common use of the word safe space. And like, I haven't encountered it in real life a lot because I just don't go to activist things a lot in real life. I think you've done that a lot more than me. The stuff I did was just pre-social justice is more accurate, I guess. But I have seen it on Facebook. That's another place I can say is certain groups on Facebook get designated as safe spaces. People used to use that word a little bit more often now use it less, but it's just basically like you're not allowed to say racist things or like if you have ideas that we have deemed outside of our Overton window, you're not allowed in this group. This group isn't for discussing those ideas. It's for discussing our ideas.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting also to see the term safe space go out of vogue as it was like weaponized into a snarl word, using it as an attack, saying yeah, like, yeah, Oh, yeah, you yeah. just want safe spaces or yeah. stuff like that. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, when you're in activism for a long time, you start saying like, ah oh, leftists, we never learn like we just pretend like there's no one else there. We pretend like this is something that drives me crazy is like leftists will pretend like everyone else is a leftist and they won't strategize from the perspective of like, oh, I'm actually talking to people who don't already agree with me. I know that's kind of like it can seem like a trite criticism, but it's stunningly relevant all the time. Right. The fact that the term safe space is going out of vogue in response to this use of it as a snarl word is actually pretty reassuring. That the left has not has not given up on the principles underlying this of like respecting one another, encouraging the best out of each other. At least, and I'm talking about in the context that I've actually encountered safe space, like yeah. the circumstantial rule sets for the purposes of, of welcoming people and especially the people who are denied that comfort of having an identity that's invisible or seen as standard or whatever.
1: Uh, Hey, hi, Dean of the University.
0: Yeah, step in, step in. It's uh, Carister, right?
1: Yeah, I'm actually coming here with a proposal from the faculty organization. We voted on this and we all agree it's going to be a great idea. Lay it on me. So we were at the inclusivity meeting and we were just thinking, how can we undermine this institution that we're all a part of? Mm -hmm.
0: That's your mandate. Go on.
1: First, let's take these college kids and let's intellectually disarm them by teaching them postmodernism. We'll let it infect all the disciplines. Mm -hmm. We'll create a whole bunch of new fake disciplines and we use them as tools to convince these students that truth doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and that nothing means anything.
0: I love it. Smash their minds to mush. Yeah. Yes. Minds to mush. Perfect.
1: Yes, I love that. Mine's too much. Sorry, anyway, I'll go on. In step two do a bait and switch where we mushed up their brains yes. and now we shove the Marxism in under the cover of the postmodernism because oh. you know, Marxism still not quite popular in the mainstream, so we hide it in the postmodernism, wolf in sheep's clothing, mm-hmm. smuggle the Marxism in, they dye their hair blue, yes. and step three, which is making it illegal to burn the flag now not the american flag but the hammer and sickle the soviet flag we want to make it so that if anyone is caught burning that flag in public they lose their citizenship
0: i love it i love what you've come up with it is days like this that remind me why i got into administering colleges and what makes it a passion for me and it's it's shoving this ideology down these kids throats I'm extremely proud, extremely proud to know that the diversity committee is coming up with such high quality suggestions to undermine the rationality of the school and make sure that emotions always rule the day and that no one's a critical thinker anymore. And, you know, we've got the biggest history department in the country. You know, we've got major history scholars here. So let's just say we have studied our history. We know exactly what we're getting ourselves into with this Marxist stuff.
1: It leads to one place mass genocide yeah you and i know that i think mm-hmm. the professors know that either consciously or subconsciously
0: everything's moving like clockwork perfectly exactly as planned don't quote me on this but
1: it's been a long time since we killed a good few million with marxism and just maybe it's time again i'm not saying definitely it is but maybe it is let's give it a shot it's always worth trying
0: do you want to shake on it yeah, we'll, that's my agenda. We'll go to administer the college according to our agenda. So and let's uh, uh, we'll shake move it up, it. shake it down.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how you shake a hand. Thank you, uh, and I'll leave you to your work. You said you were busy when I came in. Oh yeah, I want to take so up any more away your time. This
0: plot, but yeah, no. love plotting, but <sighs> we all got work to do. Back to writing my letters of recommendation for outstanding students. I got
1: minds to turn to mush, and you got whatever you do. And you also mentioned microaggressions, which <laughs> to me is just like another area where everyone ends up talking in hyperbole. Like the whole point of it being called a microaggression is that like, it kind of sucks and like, you know, like a thousand cuts start, like you start to bleed a lot. What's the fucking thing? A death by a thousand cuts. And it's not that, for example, asking a person who has Asian features where they're from is the most racist thing in the world and everyone who does it is as bad as someone who's in the KKK. Uh, That's exactly not what's being said because that's why it's called a microaggression and not being in the KKK.
0: To further defend microaggressions, I just think it's a useful or interesting framing, especially around... Places where, like, we sixty years ago, the United States stopped segregating people because they were black from white people, and started allowing black people to sit in the same part of the bus as white people. That was sixty years ago. That's a pretty explicit uh, macro aggression. Right. That's that's yeah. a that's a big one. And so, like, that's really easy to see. But in the wake of that society and that culture, one of the ways that racism pops up is in these like subtle little different ways that we treat each other. And I think it's worth pointing out and thinking about. The point that you raise is kind of interesting about how, although there are microaggressions as explicitly distinct from being in the KKK. Like, no one would say
1: that. <laughs> or just even being aggressive enough to say the N-word. Like, yelling it as an epithet at someone with a mean voice. and that That's not considered a microaggression. That's considered like, you know, you're starting some shit. That's some real aggression. <laughs> like, there's
0: a big gap between that and wanting to touch a black woman's hair. Everyone agrees there's a big gap there. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, people who are defensive about that would be like, oh, it's so ridiculous. You're acting like wanting to touch someone's hair because it's an interesting texture I've never touched before. It's interesting. I've got soft Caucasian hair. I want to try (laughs) touching black hair. You're saying I'm in the KKK? You're saying that I want Hitler to rise to power? No, I just want to touch the interesting, nice hair, which I like.
1: Right? How and then, dare well, and, then, and then the like reaction against that is like, <laughs> but it is racist to like just assume that you're entitled to go around touching black people's hair. This happens to me all the time. It's a really like annoying experience. It makes me feel objectified that people are coming at me, being like, ooh, weird, different hair." It's like you look at this strange creature that I'm like, <laughs> mm, it's like a sea anemone. I'm at like, right, right, I'm right.
0: at Sea World right now, and you're this is a petting zoo.
1: <laughs> so people can have this discussion that we just mimic. Uh, without ever anyone acknowledging the micro
0: part. I, you know, I want, kind of want to go a little further than you and say like, it's small if I poke you, but if I poke you over and over again every day, it becomes not small at a certain point. Yeah, you know? right. And yeah. and that's part of the importance of the microaggression. That's, that's why microaggressions, although they are small, are still a big enough deal to talk about or a big enough deal to think about. And, and, and like, uh, yeah, I really like that example,
1: because it's like if you poke me once, OK, yeah, it's not a huge deal. But if you poke me like once or a couple of times and then I'm like, hey, dude, please stop poking me and you start going like. Oh what, is poking you the same as shooting you? Wait, and are it's you like, saying, well oh, no, a serial no, but you kill because I <laughs> poked you? Or you like you're acting like I punched you in the face. I just poked you. I didn't punch you in the face. It's like, oh, well, I know you didn't punch me in the face, but like it's still it, it sucks. Mm. All I'm saying is that it sucks. And can you please stop?
0: A- and I'm just starting to feel like you poking me so much is connected to you not respecting me. And like <laughs> the fact that you think it's not a big <laughs> why deal why would that you I think k- that right. Like yeah. the fact that I care about this and you're saying like, oh, it's not a big i t- I'm allowed to poke you, blah blah blah. It's like well, you're poking me. You're going to stick the police else. on me for poking you? Uh, no, I'm not say-
1: <laughs> Why do you want to stick the police on me for poking uh, you? No, you're me- trying to get your college administrators to make it so I'll get expelled if I poke you.
0: <laughs> if you should please stop poking me because it's very <laughs> annoying. And I find it not just annoying, but disrespectful. And it also reminds me of the fact that 50 years ago, all of your relatives were super racist to all of my relatives and treated <laughs> me like we weren't human. Yeah.
1: Because it's like I, I empathize with like someone seeing a list of microaggressions that includes, um, I don't know why this is the only example I can keep thinking of, but people asking someone of Asian heritage where they're from. And like see, seeing that listed and worrying that if we canonize this as a bad thing to do, are we saying that something in certain instances, something that's perfectly innocent And can be useful, like, you know, if you want to know someone's heritage because you're interested and you want to learn more about them as a person, like, that's just a a good thing. But if you're asking because you're subtly implying that they're not American or they're they're other from all the, the normal people, the white people like you, and maybe even unconsciously implying that, then it's a different thing. But, like, you see that on a list and you think this is what they want to make illegal now. So, like, I I get the reticence there and I get the person being like, well, wait a minute, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe it's not such a bad thing to ask someone where they're from. But, like, yeah, it, it really gets into these questions of, like, cultural acceptability versus institutional acceptability versus legal acceptability. And, like, I guess all these conversations would benefit from having those distinctions drawn more often so that people know what they're actually talking about.
0: The country of origin question. I remember the first time I ran into that. I kind of had, and still to a certain degree, have this little bit of like, pff, like, I want to know where people are from. Sometimes, like, it's right. not fucking signing but up. But what are you like really <laughs> from
1: when they tell you they're from Calgary? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's like, see. I think that's what it's really ultimately about. I'm pretty sure, generally speaking, like you're saying, asking about curiosity about. A person, like if I'm asking you what your heritage is, what country do your ancestors come from? What culture are you a part of? I think that can be a really respectful conversation as part of curiosity about another human being. But the problem is that that question is asked in a context where white people are not asking other white people where they're from. They're asking people who have a different physically apparent identity where they're from. And rather than asking what their ethnicity is or what their culture is, they're asking where you're from. And then when you tell them where they're from, they keep on asking, where are you from? No, really from. You can't be (laughs) from America. You have to be from somewhere else. I mean, originally, (laughs) instead of saying, what is your cultural heritage? What's like- Yeah, exactly. Rather than being about a relationship with a person and uh, information about a person that is centered in respect and understanding a human being is on the other side of this conversation, the implication is that you're seeing people in groups based on their physical features where if you have a nose that is a certain shape you can't be from california you must be from somewhere else like that there's a reason yeah. to, and the more you think about it, the more it's like, that is kind of fucking weird and Oh yeah, gross yeah The, the and like,
1: feeling that I'm sure people get is like, w- the question you're really asking is, do I think about you through my Chinese stereotypes or my Japanese stereotypes? I'm not sure which set of mental like colorings to put on you right now based on your physical features alone. So if you could help me with
0: that, mm-hmm. uh, that would be great. And like you said, the, the implication that you're ultimately from somewhere else, even if if you were born in the same country, yeah. That same implication doesn't follow someone who looks your idea of American, yeah.
1: Which... Well, yeah, because it's a weird double standard. Because it's true that they're ultimately from somewhere else. If ultimately from somewhere else means that their parents immigrated here from a, another country, unless they're you know a Native American, but the same questions don't get asked of. European peoples, what, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Dallas. No, but where are you really from? Well, my mom was from Italy, and my dad was from Germany. like nobody gets you to <laughs> go that far, at least not as often. I'm sure it happens sometimes. Well, no, no, no. Where, like, where are your parents, your grandparents from? Italian. Oh, that's so interesting. I love Italian food. That's that's part of a real conversation. The the, <laughs> the surface level version of that tends to only happen to people. Who aren't white. So yeah, I can definitely see why it feels shitty. And welcome back to Crazy Blue Haired Out of Control Campus SJW Radio. Have you gone too far today, Sean?
0: Oh yeah, I've been going too far all day. Doesn't even need to make sense anymore. It's just about my feelings and let's just say I've been making use of my victim status. Oh,
1: I love that victim status. Oh, and I love being more of a victim than you, but uh, getting to our okay. favorite segment that we always do at the top of the hour, mm. is it racist?
0: All right, um, let me just open up my binder of things and flip to is it racist, pine cones.
1: Yeah, that's racist. Okay, and mm. the curtains.
0: Uh, I would say
1: yes totally racist
0: Mathematical concept of infinity
1: (laughs) Yeah jeez oh man it just hurts a little even hear you say that how racist it is but yes definitely racist
0: Paint spilled on grass You know I I used to
1: be bad on this one and I used to say that wasn't racist but someone we had a struggle session People talked me through it I self critted and now yes I know It is racist. Absolutely. Flamingos. Uh, Racist. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Yes. Racist.
0: Questioning why any of these things are racist. (sighs) Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. That That is is the most racist thing of all.
0: It's racist
1: please don't send us any emails. Don't ask any questions. Just accept what we said.
0: All right. Now that, that ends our favorite segment on the show. Is it racist? It
1: always lifts my spirit to do that segment.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it just
1: feels so good to know that you're actually helping, you know, like that we're making a real difference in society. It's so important. It's so, so important.
0: Yeah, something I like to do uh, when I'm calling things or people racist is I like to hold a handheld mirror and look at myself in the mirror while I call someone else racist. That's really peak praxis, as they say. It's really how you make change in the world is make eye contact with yourself in the mirror and then call something or someone Racist.
1: it's wonderful that's, that's beautiful that's what we're all about it's beautiful
0: and that's uh, another segment of college radio craziness with the blue hair hosts who ruled by their feelings and are just a wacko now
1: we're going to go to 13 minutes of a person of color screaming in rage uh, not saying any words just letting out their anger they don't have a lot of spaces to do that but we give them the time here And we'll see you after
0: that. So white people, I don't want you moving that dial.
1: Oh yeah, you listen to all 13 minutes or you might lose your citizenship. So yeah, like no platforming and free speech. I feel like free speech is the tension point that I think a lot of the criticisms of college campus center around. Like whether you're talking about microaggressions, safe spaces, or like no platforming. A lot lot of what people end up bringing that down to is free speech because, Oh, you want your safe space where I'm not allowed to speak my harmless conservative ideology. This is against my free speech rights. Oh, you want to outlaw me, asking where you're from. This is against my free speech rights. But like with no platforming, it's a little bit more explicit that they're actually like trying to stop people from talking, at least in certain places at certain times. I don't know. I'm generally not a fan of no platforming, but also in most cases, it's not a free speech issue in that like say Charles Murray gets disinvited from a uh, campus speaking event. He still writes books. His ideas are out there and available. Literally anyone who wants to know what he thinks about things can do so very, very easily. You can read his books. You can read people having interviews with him, listen to interviews. It's just... <laughs> to, to talk about this as a legal free speech issue completely misses the point. This is those levels again. Talking about it as a, an institutional free speech issue makes a bit more sense because universities should be places of open debates and all ideas should be allowed. Universities shouldn't be policing what ideas should or shouldn't be there. That That's actually a, a conversation that's happening. I think it's a good conversation to find out where those lines are because obviously nobody thinks flat earthers should be at campuses, but Everybody thinks Hillary Clinton should be allowed to speak or almost everybody. you I know mean, where's where's the line in between like what's allowable and what's not allowable is a real bar? and And then there's also the issue of cultural free speech and like, Shame and people feeling scared to say what they want to say because they don't want the Twitter storm or they don't want protests to happen
0: the, the The second part I find is a more interesting conversation. I mean, to me at least, the chilling effects around speech and what are the benefits and drawbacks of having everyone, speak their mind all the time versus not speak their mind for the threat of offending. But I mean, when you think about, okay, where is the real threat to people not speaking their mind? Is the primary threat to me being in trouble because I'm speaking my mind, does that come from a blue hair college campus unprincipled activist who doesn't listen well to others and has a philosophy of the universe that I disagree with? Or is the threat to me being outspoken about my values and beliefs, is that going to tend to come from authority and people who have authority over me? Governments, bosses, police officers... Those are some areas that I would actually be kind of worried. Specifically yeah. oh. bosses I think. Yeah, but
1: b- bosses is a really interesting one because when someone gets fired for saying something racist, the pro free speech voice that comes out is, oh, those twitter activists who complain to his boss are so terrible. But the like the person who actually made the decision to fire the person based on what they said is the boss and nobody seems to be questioning that bosses have a right to hire or fire people based on what they say in public. And like, I'm not in favor of Twitter dogpiles. I think it's counterproductive. I think it gives people cover to be cruel and just not feel like, well, I just sent one tweet. That's not a big deal. But like, this is a John Ronson thing. Like every, no snowflake feels like they're responsible for the avalanche, but the overall effect is this the huge, like, it's really harmful to people who happen to become the targets
0: of avalanches on social media. which And that brings me to why colleges, when we're talking about a culture that expanded primarily via social media that it is political in nature. It's not student in nature. So why the target on the students? Why the target on the back of the students? I just have a hard time answering that question without saying that this is something that's intentionally constructed. It's intentionally constructed for the purposes of undermining the institutions of universities, pushing people away from liberal arts, critical thinking, and the political life of university, making it a more toxic and horrible place. I just, I can't help but feel that the Motivation here is not at all a concern for free speech because the principles of free speech are ignored when Burger King Corporation violates them. The principles of free speech are ignored when your favored president is violating them why is it that free speech and university are connected? I just, I can't, it it feels to me like it's an intentional distraction, a smokescreen to use the concept of free speech to frame the battle, a battle which is against, for lack of a better term, evidence-based societal progress. And there's like a lot of things that we now know That we didn't know previously about an example would be the environment or an example might be something like drug addiction and whether or not drug addiction should be seen as a criminal matter or to what degree it should be seen as a social matter and there's a lot of evidence-based academic things about reality that certain groups don't want to be accepted as true it sounds a little bit conspiratorial or something, but that to me feels like the real crux of the college free speech debate. Because if you give a shit about free speech at all, then why colleges and not all these other places where the principle of free speech is being explicitly violated in more explicit ways? I know that no platforming is kind of a, a shiny, mimetic, popping example of someone trying to stop speech of some kind. But I have a hard time seeing this all as as a sincere and non-disingenuous movement. It feels like it's intentionally obscuring the actual discussion to talk about free speech.
1: Well, it's definitely intentionally... Partisan, where even in universities, like I remember when this was happening, you sharing this article a few times about uh, these lawmakers in Arizona, maybe, who wanted to like pass a law to make this like critical studies of whiteness course illegal or something like that. Made a law like roundabout would have made the class illegal. So, like, there was no outcry from the pro free speech people against like literally laws <laughs> wanting to be written about preventing this leftist anti-oppression, systemic oppression theory class from being taught in these schools. They they weren't there defending that teacher's right to free speech and to express their ideas in a public forum. So like I just, I certainly see what you're saying about the whole narrative being constructed to push particular Ideas equal time isn't being given to threats to free speech on both sides of the topic. And like, like, certainly there's tons of examples of leftists uh, saying things against free speech like leftists who don't believe in free speech are a thing they're like a fairly large thing it happens
0: yeah and honestly they really repulse me in a fundamental like i saw an interview recently i can't remember what protest it was at some university they interview some kid they're like you're protesting this speaker like doesn't this violate the first amendment and the kid's like i don't care right. i don't care <laughs> and it's like you found someone who doesn't know what they're talking about at all like If anyone who says, oh, protesting a speaker is violating the First Amendment, and their response is, actually, the First Amendment refers to a responsibility of government to not arrest people for their political ideas. It does not refer to one group protesting another group. That's absolutely insane. What are you talking about? But then you find a kid who is in meme politics. He thinks and communicates in a version of politics that's been socially compressed to fit into sound bites. There's been no deep study there. There's been no deep consideration. He knows who the good guy is, who the bad guy is. He knows what he cares about and what he doesn't care about. And when you're like, does this have to do with the First Amendment? He's like, I don't care. I just want to stop this guy. That's just how I feel. It's like, fuck, fuck. Fuck you. Like get off the camera. But like also you can't entirely blame stupid kids because kids are going to be dumb. Kids are going to have really, really strongly held opinions that they barely understand. It doesn't matter if you're conservative, doesn't matter if you're liberal, doesn't matter if you're radical. When you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you're going to be a dumb piece of shit a bit. It's like you're just going to be a thoughtless <laughs> idiot. I want to start blaming the media for a second because I think that the headlinization of politics the headlineization of the way that we conceive of the left as a team and the right as a team and what's going to generate clicks and shares and all this bullshit, is completely ruined the way that we think and relate to each other and i just utterly place a high percentage of the blame at the feet of this system of media and headlines where a headline is a socially compressed version of an article that's designed to drive attention to the page that hosts the actual article. So there's this loss of fidelity, this loss of yeah, now that storytelling. headlines
1: aren't just at the top of a printed page, they're like they even at that point they were still what you're saying, but now that they have to make you click, it's like that that gets focused even more.
0: Yeah, so the headline of the article, it's designed to serve two purposes. It's designed to inform you roughly of something And it's designed to make you go through it as a portal to more information. Headlines as portals has overtaken the part that conveys information. But you you only click a certain amount of headlines. You only read a certain amount of the articles that you click on. You add all these factors together. It's It's created a systemic crisis in the way that we talk and think about politics, I think, because there's all these basically advertisements for articles called headlines that are designed to generate attention, but aren't designed to generate factual understanding. And in fact, they want to withhold information from you to generate that attention. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we all have these headlines floating around our head where you see, oh, such and such college, this happened, such and such college, that happened. It doesn't matter. There's only six examples. It's like they s- stick together. They form a narrative in your head and like this yeah. fucking headlineization, man. It, it's the root of our hot takes crisis where people are fucking generating 10 hot takes a day and doing nothing for each other. It's ruining fucking everything. And it's designed and it's manipulated by people who don't have your best interests at heart. Sorry, that's my little spoiled baby blue hair rant.
1: Oh, I noticed your hair turned bluer as you were ranting there. <laughs> do you uh, do you need to stop for a minute and color or we'll put on some chill music? Um, are you
0: saying that you want to make headlines illegal? Are you saying that you want to control all headlines (laughs) from a central SJW bureau of headlines? Is that Uh,
1: headed by King Sean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you do know how to flatter me. Um, (laughs) I'll go for it. King blue hair, shiny, shiny blue, blue. And welcome back to the zany, wacko, totalitarian college blue hair
0: hour. We're here to remind you that you have sinned, you're not good enough, you can never be forgiven, and your only hope is to listen to everything we say and do what we tell you.
1: Oh, so I wanted to tell you, something crazy happened to me on campus today. Okay. I was walking just outside the political science building and passed by two people having a conversation, and I heard one of them say... I don't think the nuclear family is necessarily bad for everyone. It's okay for those who would choose it. And, you know, I wanted to call them out right there, but I was having a panic attack. I had to sit down, you know, and by the time I had collected myself well enough to go and do the honest, good, true thing and punch them in the face, they were already gone. The fact that they were gone and that I'd missed my opportunity to punch them re-traumatized me. And so I had to go spend some time in the safe space, I did some coloring, listened to some Bjork, it was really hard for me.
0: Okay, firstly, I wanna thank you for sharing that with me and I wanna honor that. Oh, thank you. But you really should have said content warning at the beginning of that story. Uh, what? It's something we've talked about before on the show and just the need for a content Mm. warning when you're talking about something like that. If we'd had a speaker
1: on who was pro-nuclear family, or if I had been making some pro-nuclear family point in some bizarro dimension, of course that would deserve a content warning. But in the context of a story where it's being disabused as the wrong position, I've told you before that doesn't need a content warning.
0: Okay. Well, you know what it feels like when you're going around society, you have blue hair, everyone who has brown or natural hair... (sighs) Sort of looks down on you. Yeah, it's the worst. Treats you as a second-class citizen. This is like that. That is like our community taking that in and creating its own version of it. Where you are the normative hair person, and I'm the blue hair because mm. you you're saying, oh, you know, there should only be content warning if there's actually use, sincere use mm. of an idea. Yeah, if someone's where, using
1: the idea of nuclear family as a weapon yeah, to so, systemically oppress yeah, people who don't I'm have saying a nuclear there family. There should be a
0: content warning in both use and mention. And you're treating me like the blue hair of the situation, and I just don't think that's right.
1: I think you're treating me like the blue hair of the situation. As you know, I didn't grow up in a nuclear family. As someone who faces oppression from people who grew up in nuclear families, like you,
0: Uh
1: I'm the one who's standing up for leftist principles, and you're the one who's tone policing me. We should temper our leftist principles by warning people that, oh, I'm about to make a leftist point
0: warning Content warnings don't belong to you. They belong to everybody. There's a bunch of different reasons to be triggered by the idea of a nuclear family. It's not about you. It's just about the principles. You're the one ignoring principles. You don't have my lived experience. Okay, well, I'm
1: grabbing my phone. I'm grabbing my phone. I'm you just keep gonna... talking. This is a radio show. You got to talk. I'm taking a break. I'm going to tweet.
0: No, I'm just going to quickly, quickly tweet mm. about supports who you the are. nuclear family
1: fundamentally doesn't care about the experiences of the oppressed. Don't, uh, tweet.
0: don't tweet that about me. Done. Oh, already got a like. Um... I didn't get my tweet out in time. I've got stubby <laughs> fingers. Oh, now
1: it's too late for you. If you send out your tweet, it's just going to look like you're going on the defensive. I'm going to tweet an apology or uh,
0: are you going to let this snowball? Oh, look, already 30 retweets. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's, but he's, what he said isn't doesn't reflect the reality of the situation at all. My phone's yeah. blowing up. Oh, what's this? The Dean of Inclusivity has just issued a statement saying you
1: are removed from the radio show. Perfect.
0: I, oh, man. Okay. Look who's the blue hair now. I just got a Me. I just got a a tweet to the effect that I've actually lost my citizenship over this. That's wonderful.: Yeah, I'm going to be a nationless international
1: refugee now. Sometimes the system works. Maybe having no home country anymore and no community to call your own will help you to self-crit, become a better person in the future, and well, I don't know, probably not. You're hopeless. One mistake and you're out. That's how I always say.
0: I can't disagree on the principle. I always believe the one mistake and you're out clause is a really strong, fundamental part of our society. So. Oh, the police are here. Freeze! Oh, I love the police when they're on my side. Yep, yeah, take them away. I can't even say I'm, I'm mad because I just so strongly believe that we should do this every once in a while. And you, know, you hope it's not going to be you. This time it was me. System works. And...
1: And we'll see you next week with more wacky, out-of-control, blue-haired SJW radio. That's me, alone now, just Aaron, signing off. But uh, maybe we'll have a new host, new co-host next time.
0: You know, I'm going to make an assertion right now, not entirely based on evidence, but I'm going to throw it out there in the year of our Lord 2018. And I suggest that the evidence is going to come and prove me right in the next couple of years. I think that the right wing is worse on free speech than the left wing in general. And it's going to be proven statistically. They're just way worse on it. You get the answers to the questions that you ask, and it can look like leftists have become an intolerant bunch based on the questions that you ask them. The free speech crisis at colleges and universities is not a crisis of free speech, and it doesn't actually take place at colleges and universities. Uh, Colleges and universities are not the heart of the free speech struggle. The main antagonists to free speech on earth right now are not mostly powerless leftists who make eccentric choices in the way that they dress and involve political strategies that the majority of us don't like. There's been some studies and polling done on public opinion around free speech, the most popular of which done by John Villasenor. He's a professor at the University of California. He did a survey of college students. Um, Its methodology was criticized because it was an opt-in online survey, which is considered a no-no the world of statistics and like a bunch of different polling agencies said like this would have to be redone like this data does not meet our standards but it was widely reported as saying basically that one-fifth 20 percent of college students say that it's acceptable to resort to violence in order to stop someone who has offensive views from speaking 22 percent of republicans surveyed said it was acceptable 20 percent of democrats and 16% of independents. So it's kind of interesting that more Republicans, according to this survey, which is we can completely disregard because its methodology is so bad, <laughs> but it, it made headlines for how yeah, much- one in
1: five college students. Yeah, but the, it didn't mention that the number for Republicans is slightly higher than for Democrats.
0: Yeah, so the, I mean, we can blame the reporting and the media and what's going to generate clicks, but I think they're sleeping on a great lead here, which is that there's also this other fascinating thing that Republicans marginally or more likely according to their data of supporting violence to disrupt political speakers. But there's a better poll of college students done by Gallup in 2016 that found that 80% of students favor an open learning environment where speakers aren't regulated and 20% favored an environment where speakers were regulated to ensure inclusivity for everyone and specifically to target speakers that, you know, stuff like Holocaust denial and stuff like that. Right. So one in five are in favor of the university regulating it, according to this more statistically sound poll. But what I found most interesting is there was a survey done by the Cato Institute on the general population, as far as attitudes about free speech, censorship, and even touched specifically on college campuses. From the general population, who should not be allowed to speak at colleges? They found that four out of five people polled from the general population agree that there is some limit to what should be allowed to be said on campus. Right.
1: Yeah. That, that seems more accurate too. when you were just saying one out of five people thinks that the university should restrict it. I was like, oh really only one out of five? Yeah. Like, only one every, out of
0: five college students, according to a Gallup 2016 poll, which is seen as statistically accurate by experts. Right. In the field.
1: But then when you go to the general public, it's four out of five, which is like much more in line with what I would have thought.
0: Yeah. But also you get answers to the questions that you ask. And these are different questions I got to acknowledge in, in the general population, they're asking the question, who should not be allowed to speak at colleges and giving a list of all these different types, all these different groups. Oh, so only
1: one out of five people picked, everyone should be allowed to speak or like none of these people or something like that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Or Yeah. Specifically 19% of people said no matter the circumstances, even if they advocate violence, they should be allowed to speak. Right. Um, I
1: think that this is a more well-designed question, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, it's fascinating too, because you find that, for example, over half of polled respondents, 51% of people say that people who say all white people are racist should not be allowed to speak at colleges, which is an absolutely fascinating statistic about the completely regressive anti-free speech <laughs> right. lines yeah, to the totally. general population. Over half of people say it's... So wrong. It's almost on par with being a Holocaust denier. Like straight up, fifty-seven percent say Holocaust deniers aren't allowed to speak. Fifty-one percent say if you say all white people are racist, you're not allowed to speak. It's it's a six-point margin of difference. Yeah, the people are so afraid of being called racist.
1: I I wish this data broke down of that fifty-one percent. How many are Republicans? How many are Democrats, or like just more broadly, I guess identify with left or right?
0: I think they do have that info in the um oh, report, but I don't have
1: right don't the have notes. it here because because I'm just really interested in like you you could therefore then write an article talking about how you find out the statistic it's say it's thirty seven percent of Republicans think that you shouldn't be allowed to say all white people are racist on campus, and isn't that awful? there's the horrible trend of Republicans wanting to ban people from (laughs) saying that all white people are racist. And then, I mean, you throw in the anecdote about the Arizona lawmakers who want to ban the study of whiteness class that, you know, I'm fairly certain implied that all white people are racist under some definitions. And, you know, you've got yourself a story there.
0: Another thing that the general population wants banned from college campuses Criticizing and disrespecting the police, 49% of people polled in this fucking survey said that if you criticize or disrespect the police, you should not be given a platform at campuses. You should be barred from having a platform by the college administrators. Do you think that's the blue hairs? (laughs) What percentage of that 49% do you think are the blue hair college activists? Exactly,
1: exactly. I I mean, it's like for the whiteness thing, it's 0%. For this, it's 0%. Like the blue hairs are totally in favor of saying white people are all racist if you want to. And they're totally in favor of dissing cops if you want to. I guarantee it.
0: Also... 38% 38% of Democrats said it should be illegal to say offensive things about the police. <laughs> oh, so it is pretty high with Democrats. It's higher with Democrats than Republicans on this issue. Disrespecting yeah. the police, 36% huh. of Republicans say it should be illegal. Only 30... It's well, weird. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a libertarian
1: streak in Republicans. and But like this is where the Republicans would more so agree with the blue hairs than they would with the Democrats. Because most of the blue hairs aren't Democrats. They're anarchists. They're communists. I think that calling them the blue hairs now. (laughs) Okay.
0: But imagine this, imagine if a statistic came out of the universities that said that 36% of people at universities think that it should be illegal, that it should be illegal to say something racist. Oh yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. The endless think pieces. What would the
0: stories look like? And then you're telling me that currently right now, 36 to 38% of the general population thinks it should be against the law to say something offensive about the police and there's no story. That's really weird. It's, it's, it's almost like you can write a really critical story about someone who's powerless, but if someone's powerful, free speech not available. Well, I mean, those
1: 36% of people, they're not that powerful, probably for the most part. Uh, 36% of the population, any way you slice it, isn't that powerful. But I know you're talking about the cops, but I just mean the people holding the views.
0: You know, these stats get me a little riled up when I read them, (laughs) just thinking of what a high percentage of people are so against free speech. Because actually, I do care about free speech. Free speech is one of the things I'd put on my short list of political principles that's important to me. Because I think that rationality is something that's a group process. We work on reason together. Well, and I mean like these statistics, I feel like for
1: people on the left who like to edgily make fun of free speech or, or like counter signal against free speech, should like listen to some of these statistics and be like, oh yeah, I really do think it's important that we're legally allowed to criticize the police or that people criticizing the police should maybe be allowed to speak at a college campus. Like that's important to me. I actually do believe in free speech. Like, oh yeah, shit. (laughs) I don't want this coming down against me. I mean, like, I guess you could say what I think should be legal and what other people think shouldn't be legal. And I'm just like consciously deciding that (laughs) this shouldn't be a universal right and it should be based on my ideology. But I think like for most people, they would be like, oh yeah, maintaining this as a principle is actually pretty important.
0: The principle is important. And if there's going to be a violation of it, there really needs to be a clear, not just quantitative but qualitative difference in what is being said inciting genocide might be something that's okay to categorize as separate from speech as a whole like what mm-hmm. is the purpose yeah. of oh, speech Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, inciting exactly. genocide I think is a good it's a good old standby when you're talking about uh, what <laughs> free speech is for and what it's not for yeah I think one of the main <laughs>
1: reasons free speech is important is actually to prevent genocide in order to like have two different sides talk, come to an agreement, de-escalate tensions. That's what free speech is important for.
0: (laughs) But it's only fair. It's really only fair. If you're going to make it illegal to incite genocide, you have to also make it illegal to speak out against genocide because (laughs) it's otherwise you're just stacking the deck. And it's like, where are we going to come to the right conclusion?
1: (laughs) After the genocide happens, people will realize that it was wrong. Best mm. ideas went out,
0: yeah. And I think you know, we just have to acknowledge that both sides usually have a point. Truth Fun. is somewhere in between. <laughs> I just got to tell you one more stat. love stats. 53% of Republicans favor stripping citizenship of people who burn the United States flag. Big <laughs> citizenship. We just like put them on a
1: boat and send them out to the yeah, ocean. Yeah, it's like you're now nationless. Oh, if yeah. You hate
0: the flag so much. Well, this is what it's like to have no home country.
1: Good luck. They should send all those people here to Canada. I would take them.
0: You burn the flag? Okay, we're going to burn your passport and any record that you exist. Good luck in the world. Get them on a bus to Canada. <laughs> send them on up. We'll
1: take them. (laughs) We'll take them. (laughs) That's what the ad campaign's called. We'll take them. (laughs)
0: But you can you imagine that's that stack coming out of the university? So 53%. 53? Yeah. 53% of Republicans. God, it's just shocking all over again. You said it a second ago. Like, Jesus. Yeah. 53%. Imagine if a college student said 53% of us got together. And if you burn a copy of Judith Butler's gender <laughs> trouble. If you touch you, a black person's hair. <laughs> you you lose, lose your citizenship. citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you ask an Asian person where they're really from. <laughs> You lose your citizenship. because <laughs> Yeah, it's like that's almost
1: what people are portraying it as. They're like, oh, they want to make it illegal to do these microaggressions. But like <laughs> nowhere near 51% of people think that it should be illegal, let alone you should lose your citizen. That should be the legal punishment. <laughs> like not a fine or something, but lose your citizenship. The people where it's actually over 50% who think you should lose your citizenship for doing something fairly innocuous, uh, like burning a flag, like not physically harmful to anyone, uh, a microaggression burning a flag is a microaggression against people who really love america i will go down with that framing i think that's right i think calling someone racist over and over again for doing something relatively minor thats also a microaggression so like conservatives are also very concerned about certain kinds of microaggressions like flag burning like being called racist <laughs> yeah it's... but but they're the ones who actually like want to make it illegal or strip citizenship or at least like it's a very high percentage i don't and say they're the ones. There's people on the left who want all kinds of crazy things too. But I don't think it's 53% who want to make anything strip citizenshipable.
0: Yeah, even if you go 53% of college activists who have the bluest hair in the world. The bluest. I
1: wish oh, we had like money to do a polling agency and we could just like get statistics of like we sampled 800 blue-haired college students. And, like <laughs> this is what they thought. Oh man, that's where the real goods are. That's where if you want to donate to our Patreon, once we get enough money to fund large-scale surveys, that's the kind of stuff you can expect from
0: us. Uh, Let's make this a formal pledge. I'd really like to do some public polling, and with your help, we can... Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, definitely. If you wanna subscribe to us on Patreon or PayPal, we're gonna do some public polling in the future with your help.
1: Yeah, that's the stretch goal. Oh man,
0: imagine like getting
1: those stats and then we can like send them to Reason magazine and like (laughs) New Republic, Jacobin, like just all these like to have real stats that were collected in a decent way till oh man
0: you know if they report on them they say this polling was done by seriously wrong <laughs> and it links to our page and yeah, all the right, right that'd be perfect well, yeah. So that that's a that's free speech. I mean, no, but that's that's colleges, that's c- crazy
1: college students, college free, free speech, speech debate, t- teens. Um, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like this conversation, I think we haven't done this episode yet because we was like, what is there to say? Like, it just <laughs> everyone's having this stupid conversation all the fucking time. But I hope we we found something new and interesting to say on the topic.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, on behalf of me, for the last several years, not doing this episode. <laughs> I'm right to not do it. I hate this subject. I hate them all. The end. Thanks for listening.
1: Next time on Seriously Wrong, those humorless, out-of-control college students learn to laugh again.
0: We now return to Sean from Crazy SJW College Radio as he huddles in a wet blanket in the pouring rain surrounded by other nationless refugees sent away on boats for their first strike violations against the Church of College Social Justice. <coughs> oh,
1: so cold. This blanket has holes in it. Oh, man. I hope the rain stops.
0: Uh, what'd they get you on?
1: said that something was on fleek appropriating african and american vernacular english so you know i thought that it was on fleek but i should have said something from my own
0: cultural heritage i deserve it yeah i was uh i was tone policing tone policing on the radio so it's kind of hard to deny it everyone heard you yeah hey uh say what are you on here for i touched a black girl's hair by accident, brushed up against it on the bus, but she didn't believe
1: me that it was an accident. And, you know, I respect her lived experience, so I deserve it.
0: I should have used they pronouns, but I use she pronouns. It was just a little mistake, but she present. She, I mean, they present. <laughs> I deserve
1: to be here. Oh, hey, the rain's clearing up, and looks like there's an island up ahead. Do you hear
0: that? I hear. I hear music. I hear island music.
1: Yeah, I do hear island music. Is this where the boats go? I didn't think the boats went anywhere. I thought we just floated around at sea, but this well here, let's let's uh put down this little dock thing and we can climb out of the boat. <laughs> oh, the sunshine sure is nice. Just it was so cold before.
0: Hello boys. Have you been exiled from society? <laughs> yeah, we all had our citizenship yeah. revoked. Yeah. Citizenship got us. Come sit down, warm up. We have food, we've got music. Well, this place seems pretty nice. It's not really a totalitarian place. So we're all free and we have direct democracy. And we produce our own food. We've got kind of a vibrant political culture of free speech. We all speak our mind all the time um, and learn to work it out hmm. instead of using hmm. the censorship. It's an island paradise. Best of all, I mean, my favorite part is learning to laugh again. Laughing. Oh, yeah. I remember laughing. I don't Do remember laughing. What yeah, laughing before was. They yeah. Pro- we programmed it out of you. Yeah. Laughing, I actually find, is quite fun. And huh. it, it's also humorous as well, which is just something I learned about. Humor. It's a feeling. It's a type of thing. Interesting. Jerry Seinfeld's here on the island, and he performs every night, just everyday things, just stuff about island life. Hmm. He kills every night. Wow. You're crying laughing. Well, this just... sounds
1: great. I'm so interested in learning how to
0: laugh. Let's go. Let's go see Jerry. Come okay, on, Jerry will teach you. Jerry's taught a lot of people to laugh on this island. I can't wait to show you.
1: Will you hold my hand as we walk to go see Jerry? Yeah, that's absolutely. 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 Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome. I'm just so happy. I just want to hold someone's hand.
0: Welcome neighbor. Welcome to the island.